0: good day listeners and viewers welcome to this edition of the pure sex radio program we're so glad to have you with us my name is jonathan Darty, and i actually have a guest back with us it's been a little while but uh dr jennifer degler and so welcome back to the program jennifer
1: thanks for having me
0: jonathan yeah so i want to just dive right in because i feel like the the topic we're going to be talking about today is maybe more prevalent than people are aware of, or maybe they don't always make the connections. Um, you recently did a phenomenal webinar on helping people understand, hey, how do we deal with anxiety and worry? How do we respond to that? What does it do to our bodies? How does it affect our brains? And let me just tell you, Jennifer, you I don't know how much time you spent on the research aspect of that, but the amount of information that you gave in that two-hour, Uh, webinar, and then certainly a lot of the documentation that you have was phenomenal. But I would love for you to be able to share um, maybe a little bit about giving us a, a foundation of how do we understand anxiety and worry? And then what kind of connections are there between our anxious hearts and our anxious brains and our sexuality?
1: Oh, that's a great question. And I'm so glad that you're you're giving me some time to talk about the brain and anxiety in our bodies, because if we don't understand what's happening in our brain when we're anxious and worried, then we're kind of at the mercy of fear. And our brains don't work so well when we're afraid. And when it comes to the subject of sex, just already there's some anxiety and fear mm. because there's vulnerability mm. involved there. And for many of your listeners there may be a history of pain whether that's physical pain or emotional pain relationship pain spiritual pain so that just adds to anxiety as well so i'm really glad that we're having an opportunity to talk about this and yeah that webinar i talked for two and a half hours without stopping it's the most i've ever talked with literally not taking a break um, but it's, it's it's a lot of content, two hours of content, and then and then 30 minutes of of Q and A. So, would you like for me to explain about flipping your lid? I know you may have heard that. Would you like to hear about that and what fear and anxiety and worry do to your brain?
0: Absolutely, I think that would be helpful because if we have a little bit of a foundation of what um what does how does anxiety manifest in our in our bodies. I think it will help us to start to draw some of the connections between why there seems to be, uh, a lot of times, a very strong link between anxiety and and even our sexuality and, and how they can actually kind of uh, sort of play against one another in some ways.
1: Yes, yes, you're exactly right. And it's so helpful for people and couples to understand what's happening in their brain. So, um, okay, so let's let's pretend that your fist is your brain so um those now if you're watching me on video you're seeing this but if you're listening to it on podcast i'm going to describe what i'm doing with my hand so that you'll understand this so i'm i'm taking my thumb and just putting my thumb across my palm and then making a fist over my thumb so now i have a fist so if you if you picture your fist being your brain and like the top of your fist is ripply, like your gray matter, your cortex, the top of your brain is ripply too. And then your where your arm comes up into your hand, that would be your spinal cord. So your spinal cords coming up into your brain. And where your little finger is, that would be the front of your brain. So like your eyes would be looking at you out where your pinky is. And so most of the time, like right now, you and I, Jonathan, we're talking we're using our whole brain. And we're especially using our prefrontal cortex, which is right behind your forehead. So that would be the area like where your ring finger and your little finger are on your fist at the top. Mm-hmm. And that prefrontal cortex is the manager in your brain. So that's where impulse control is. That's where planning, organization, social judgment, um, organ- all of those things. So that's an executive functioning. And that's the last part of the brain to fully develop. It doesn't fully develop really until you're at least 25, um, which is why you can rent a car when you're 25, because you make a lot better right. decisions and you don't get as many car wrecks after you're 25 because that prefrontal cortex has better social judgment. So most of the time we're going throughout our day and and my prefrontal cortex is talking to your prefrontal cortex and it's all working, you know, we're doing fine. Well, if we peel back, okay, so I'm, Healing, opening up those four fingers and now you see the inside of my palm with the thumb running across my palm right in the middle from the top the base of my fingers down to the base of my palm that's your midbrain and your hindbrain so down at the very bottom of your palm that's your brain stem so that's that controls things like breathing and digestion and heart rate and blinking those things you don't normally think about but running right across the middle of your brain where your thumb is, is your limbic system. And that's the seat of emotion. And so when we are um, feeling really emotional, when we're feeling afraid, we think that's originating from your amygdala, which is where the pad of your thumb is, the base of your thumb is. And if you've got people that have sexual trauma, we think maybe that gets stored down in there if it's not processed. And so that amygdala acts like a smoke detector in your brain. And it's always scanning and looking for danger, just like your smoke detector is always scanning and looking for smoke, but it's not very sophisticated. It'll go off if you burn toast and it'll go off if your house is on fire. And Mm. in one case you're in danger, but in another case you're not, but it still goes off. And it's the same with your brain. If that amygdala thinks something is dangerous, like let's have a conversation about sex with my spouse, And it thinks that's dangerous or gosh, I just saw something like my spouse looking at their phone and it's 10 o'clock at night and your amygdala is like, oh, I bet they're texting their affair partner. Then, and and maybe that's not even true, but your amygdala Mm -hmm. thinks, oh, that was Mm -hmm. true at one time, or that could be true. What it does is it immediately sends a message up to your hypothalamus, that master gland where your knuckle is of your thumb. That's where your stress response is and then it throws you into fight versus flight versus freeze and you go limbic so that whole limbic system gets activated and when that happens jonathan we flip our lid and the, the prefrontal cortex goes mostly offline thinking the the rational logical part of our brain language even kind of goes offline and at that point we're limbic and so really we this is the brain of a dog from here down is the brain of a dog, which is why when you're really stressed out and you flip your lid and somebody comes up to you and says, you need to relax, you need to calm down. How do you feel, Jonathan? Is that helpful when they do that?
0: No, you bark.
1: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. That's why we start barking at one another. And so many times when there's been a history of some kind of sexual trauma, sexual pain, Um, there's been infidelity, maybe there's been addiction, couples end up, one of them gets triggered and then they end up both kind of with their brains flipped and they've got their dog brains and they're trying to Mm -hmm. talk to one another and it's not gonna go well. As a matter of fact, we can guarantee it's gonna just go south, it's gonna go poorly because the part of their brain that can really listen and hear and understand and make good judgment calls is offline. So understanding when you flipped your lid and when your partner has flipped their lid is really important as you walk your way out of um, any kind of a sexual addiction, in any kind of painful thing that's happened in your life.
0: So let's talk about this, um, because I think there's, you know, there's obviously there's always going to be a continuum when you're talking about aspects of sexual brokenness and, and just kind of normal, even uh, sexual development and all those types of things. Because I feel like there's so much that could be discussed about the connections between sexuality and and this anxiety that I would I'd like for us to focus a little bit on kind of what our primary audience would probably contain. And that would be sort of folks that are in this maybe the middle of the bell curve, you know, because on on one end, you might have you're talking about severe traumatic abuse and and some of those types of things and then you know maybe on the other end you're you're merely just talking about normal human development in terms of adolescence and and you know discovering your sexuality and those types of things and in the middle here you have you have like the population that okay you've got people struggling with pornography or or, or they've just got a a narrow view of God's design for sex that is not um uh You know a full understanding of that how would you how would maybe some of this manifest in let's take for instance the the man or the woman that has a some kind of struggle with with sexual lust whether it be pornography maybe you know romance novels maybe some of these types of things where there has been there has been ingrained a type of appetite sexually that is unhealthy that is not going towards what would be um you know, good for the brain or the body. How does some, I mean, when you're talking about this lid getting, you know, the brain getting flipped, um, is there a compounding sort of, uh, if I can put it this way, strength that is gained over time? In other words, does does it get worse and worse? Does that area of the brain grow more and more if the, if the certain things that trigger that brain being flipped happen repeatedly? Or how, because like, how does the brain work in that regard when let's say you know a guy is hooked on porn Mm -hmm. and certainly there's a lot of things that can happen in the brain related to being hooked on porn how does this anxious response maybe connect or how does anxiety connect with that issue of maybe let's say a porn addiction or something like that
1: okay so great question so one thing to keep in mind is this limbic system okay that responds best to body centered techniques to calm it down. So because think about like if you've ever had a dog and your dog is like afraid of thunder and you know your dog is maybe under the couch shaking, you know, because of the thunder, when you go to your dog, you know, do you say, "Oh dog, I see you're afraid. Let me explain to you the theory of conductivity of electricity and how you're grounded here in the house?" You don't do that, do you, Jonathan? You know, what do you do if your dog if your dog is scared and shaking what do you do to calm your dog down
0: well you you usually uh, pull them into your lap or something or you're just going to do something to try to try to give them yeah. a sense of safety immediately
1: exactly you do in the when we know we know instinctively okay you don't have language a dog doesn't have language so i'm gonna have to put my hands on that dog's body i'm gonna have to use a body centered technique to calm you down we do the same thing babies and toddlers we understand they don't understand language so we're gonna have to pick them up and do something body wise and so body centered techniques help calm that limbic system down because language is up here it's in high in the brain it's in the cortex so what happens is that like a sexual addiction when we begin to get anxious when we're disturbed when we're distressed we reach for something that is going to make us feel better and oftentimes it may be like we were distressed maybe um, you had an argument with your spouse and you're distressed maybe you're feeling afraid are they going to leave me um can can i i'm afraid can i even be a husband do i even know what that looks like um maybe i don't make enough am i going to kind of make enough money to provide for our family whatever the fear is that amygdala down here where all the what ifs live what if what if what if it activates then that stress response and then we want to feel better and we reach for for what works and so some people reach for a gallon of ice cream some people reach for i'm going to call a friend some people reach for i'm going to look at porn Mm -hmm. and all of those things impact the body now we can we can say, okay, well, I get the ice cream because I'm eating, but even like social connection, we know that healthy social connection calms the midbrain down because we begin, you know, when we're in fight versus flight, we're feeling like I've got to run away from this, I've got to fight this, or, or I freeze up. But if I'm not alone, then I don't feel as afraid.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: that calms the midbrain down. And then eventually the prefrontal cortex can come back online and then I can make better calls. I can make better judgment calls, better choices. I'll have more impulse control over any addiction that I might have. And so recognizing I need to use body centered techniques. I've been using a body, looking at porn is a body centered technique. It's -hmm. just an unhealthy, non-adaptive, Way of calming the midbrain down, and it ends up, you know, that it stimulates the pleasure centers of the brain. And then we do, we just reach for it. Whether, okay, I'm going to reach for more ice cream, I'm going to reach for that addiction, yeah. whatever yeah. it might be, or porn.
0: Well, so I guess what my question is there is, does that actually in itself uh, create a compounding anxiety in the brain? Meaning, does it, does that, uh, attempt at responding to deal with whatever the original anxiety trigger was. So for instance, let's say, you know, somebody has a terrible day at work or there's some kind of stressor that happens on the road or, or any number of things that cause that initial sort of Mm -hmm. response or trigger that says, now I'm going to go look for that, um, that outlet, that ice cream or that, that porn. Well, then doesn't that unhealthy response can it not also then create its own kind of anxiety within it? Because let's say for the instance, the guy that then says, Hey, I'm going to go look at porn. And then can that not also create an anxiety of like, what if my wife finds out? Or what if somebody, you know, looks at my history on the internet and how does that, so talk a little bit about how sometimes the responses that we're trying to do to sort of, you know, calm the brain can actually then create its own whole new path of
1: anxiety. You you just explained that beautifully how if it's not if it's not a healthy choice then it's going to lead to more difficulties for us and you know so it sort of keeps your
0: that, lid flipped is that what you're saying right, it kind of keeps that right. brain
1: well and you know we have a saying in the in the the brain field um, which is neurons that fire together wire together so if you are feel okay so let's say you know you're you you us know, say you have an argument with your wife you've your amygdala is activated you flipped your lid and you're afraid of what if some kind of what if what if she leaves me what if i'm not enough some kind of what if and then whatever in that moment whatever you do next is really important because the next neurons that you choose to fire what you reach for it, it, neurons that fire together, wire together. So it's almost like if you imagine, if you've ever seen the back of a, of a you know, just wires going everywhere in, the, in mm-hmm. a telephone, cabling or whatever. And we've got that in our brain, these neural networks. And so you're laying down a neural network. Oh, when I'm, when I'm worried about this, I reach for this. And it becomes like an a path and the more you run over that path over and over and over again the more you strengthen that neural connection so i think of it as like kind of like dense fibers if you will like seeing it is mm-hmm. literally i am forming a fiber network and that's why it can be so hard to break an addiction because you're going to that and is what you just pointed out is If I go to, if, if what I choose to initially go to is something that is an unwise choice, that's only going to produce more what ifs. Well, now what if I get caught? Right. What if then we're just like, now it's branching out. That neural network is branching out even farther and adding to that. So I think understanding the brain helps us understand, first of all, why addictions are so, so powerful. And how important that first step is, so
0: important. Mm-hmm.
1: What do we do when that what if, and we want to go to what seems like in the short term is going to make me feel better, but in the long run, I, I, am, I am not going to go to good places and I'm going to end up creating more what ifs, more anxiety, more uncertainty. What, the more uncertainty there is with whatever choice you choose, the more anxiety is going to come with it because that's what it is you know it's what it
0: yeah you know? so let's so I've got two questions then um related to that so you know we've got we've got this man or this woman who's you know their lid is flipped, and they're they're almost keeping it flipped by all these sort of perpetual mm-hmm uh poor choices in response Mm -hmm. to whatever initially stressed them out so i have two questions one is um how can a loved one of someone whose lid is flipped help them to see that help them to sort of respond in a healthy way in other words like you've got a spouse or you've got a a parent who you know they see this love they see their child or they see their spouse that they know their lid is flipped. They know they're addicted or they know that something, you know, they're not acting rationally. So the first question I have is, what would you say to the loved ones? The the next question that I'd love for you to answer after that is for the person whose lid is flipped, how can they know that and then learn to like, to respond to it so that they can kind of have a more balanced brain?
1: Yeah, and Jonathan, you you just brought up what is so paradoxical, which is, I can tell when you, Jonathan, have flipped your lid, but I'm not very good at detecting when i flipped my lid.
0: Yeah, because your prefrontal cortex just went offline, right? So
1: <laughs> And I think I'm fine. I think I'm fine. Right. I am I am like but I think I'm fine. Now meanwhile, you, Jonathan, are looking at me and going, "Ooh, baby. She yeah. is flipped out." Cuz your you're prefrontal barking cortex, like you're see, barking at yeah. me, right? <laughs> yeah, man, she has she is going off. So I think it's important, first of all, for us to understand that about ourselves, that we are good at detecting when other people have flipped their lid, we are not good at detecting when we personally have flipped our lid, and to just accept that. I mean, I'm a psychologist, but I am not good at detecting when I have flipped my lid. So it's helpful to even ask the people around you that you trust, okay, what? What warning signs do you see? Like, what are my red flags that I give off so that I can learn more about me? And oftentimes, Jonathan, it's gonna show up in your body first. So it might be a, a heat that you feel in your in your solar plexus, in your core. It might be tightness in your shoulders. It might be pain mm-hmm. in your head. Uh, you might be holding your breath. Might be, if you're a gut kind of person, you might be having gut issues. But recognizing, you know, because when we go in, we're getting thrown into fight versus flight. So our body's releasing cortisol and adrenaline and getting us ready to fight or to freeze or to run. Um, And so we need to, first of all, understand it's gonna affect our body. And then to take responsibility for saying, I think I, I, I need a break. And if you see that your spouse has flipped their lid or your loved one, your child has flipped their lid, and you haven't flipped yours yet, but you're like, "Mm mm-hmm, they flipped theirs, rather than say, I think you need to go calm down. You have flipped your lid. You need to, you need, just say, I think we could use a break. I, Mm -hmm. I think I need a break, let's take a break. Because if I hear you say to me, boy, you really need to calm down, you need a timeout, you need to calm down. If my lid has flipped, I am gonna bite your head off, chew it up, spit it out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's better if you, if you're able, if you're still online, if your prefrontal cortex is still online, to just say we, you know, we need a break, and it needs to be minimum 20 to 30 minutes because once you flipped your lid physiologically, the human brain takes a minimum 20 to 30 minutes to for to just to bring everything back online, and that's assuming during that time you are doing things that are calming. And you are not spending thirty minutes rehearsing in your mind your anger and how frustrated you know all of that because that'll just keep you stirred up. So I can't remember if I answered both of your questions.
0: No, that's great. In fact, as as I'm listening to you, it it almost sounds like you know the 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 person who is recognizing in their loved one that they have flipped their lid. It's so important that they uh, maintain a sense of compassion or empathy recognizing that, Hey, if I'm not careful, I'm just going to follow right into and flip my own lid, you know? So, so there's gotta be a sense of, of compassion and, and even being able to say, like you said, let's take a break and recognizing where some of those boundaries and lines need to be. Mm -hmm. But I'm also hearing that for the person who has flipped their lid, maybe not in the moment that their lid is flipped, but recognizing, Hey, when I'm, when I'm in lucid moments, when I'm recognizing, like, in other words, when I'm in a calmer state, I need to have the humility to invite other people to examine my life and not mm-hmm. not you know, fly off the handle when somebody that I love, I've invited to say, I-, I would like for you to tell me, or I'd like for you to be able to come toward me, or I'd like for you to be able to let me know when you're starting to see me go on that trajectory of flipping my lid. Now, I, I recognize that in both of those, Those are hard things to do. So I think what we're trying to say to people is not something that's like, hey, you know what, if you get this particular formula figured out, it's gonna be a piece of cake. So what words of encouragement would you have to those listeners out there that they feel like they're just in a constant cycle with themselves or with others where the lids are just always flipped? Um, What kind of hope can you offer to folks who feel like maybe their brain is permanently stuck like as a flipped lid
1: yeah yeah and the brain is plastic so we can rewire the brain you know god created the brain with the capacity to heal and to grow our brains don't stop growing just because we're we're adults and so Mm -hmm. recognizing okay i I Right now, I'm, I'm easily triggered, I flip my lid just maybe being around this person or being in this situation, I just boom and I'm right there in fight versus flight. What can I do? Um, I would say a couple of things. One is truly have hope and know that you can use your brain to help change your brain. Um, that's one of the things I talk about in that um, the anxiety webinar that I do. Um, help your stressed out brain chill out that you can learn techniques to body center techniques to help calm your brain down. And if you will practice them when you are not flipped, if you will Mm -hmm. practice them when you are calm to help your brain get used to feeling relaxed, because if you're flipped out all the time, it actually feels weird to your brain to be calm. Like it can feel like "What, what are we doing? Don't, don't relax. Don't calm down. So you actually have to build up your tolerance for being calm. And for many couples that are working their way through a pornography addiction or infidelity, whatever it might be, a stressful time, um, understand that it, it may feel weird at first to even have moments of peace and moments of calm. But you can build up your tolerance for that by doing, whether they're breathing exercises, meditating, you know, meditating on scripture, exercise, know things that help that brain calm down help that limbic system calm down and and the better you are and the more you practice those when you're calm then when you're starting to get flipped out just the just barely you can kind of feel it's building then to reach for one of those techniques to be able to yeah. say I need a break I need a break and then going and doing that and realizing now, remember we said neurons that fire together wire together, that you begin to form new neural networks, that when that what if starts, what if she's going to leave me? Now your brain is wired to what if she's going to leave me? I need to go take a walk outside
0: and put, mm-hmm. put on
1: some music and take a walk. And I know I'll always come back and I feel better. And now you've created a new neural network.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So i have one more question before we run out of time because again making the link between um sexuality and anxiety you know there's a lot of folks men and women who who they have anxiety that is triggered by their sexuality so either they have um you know sometimes with men they have performance anxiety or with women they have body image anxiety about their their sexuality um i'm would would so many of these things that you're talking about, about techniques to sort of help with that brain, would that also apply here? Are there some additional things to try to help with the specific sexual anxieties that people have? Um, and how would you try to help somebody work through their specific anxieties related to their very own sexuality?
1: Well, and that's a whole nother podcast right there, What what you just asked. But I I can say one thing that's really helpful is you for people, the more you get out of your body and into your head around sexuality, usually the the more sex becomes difficult and sex becomes very heavy. Um, And so you know, whether you're sitting there thinking the whole time, you know, am I going to, am I going to be able to get an erection? Am I going to be able to maintain an erection? Am I getting excited? Am I getting close to an orgasm? I can't tell. Um, what is he thinking about my body? What is she thinking about my body? Is she noticing this? Is he noticing that? Then you're getting that limbic, you're getting, you're going to go limbic and not in a good way. Um, and then it's going to, because that's all those
0: what if questions, right? That's still all those what ifs
1: right so what's happening is you're going you're living in the land of what if instead of the land of what is and you know really great soul connecting mind-blowing sex married sex you're very much in the moment it is you Mm -hmm. are in what is you are in your body you are connected you are thinking about the person you're with you're noticing what's going on in your own body in a good way not in a spectatoring kind of anxious way, but just being lost in, in pleasure and sensation. And you're able, one of the things I, I love about great married sex is you're able to achieve transcendence and agelessness. You forget about time, which is transcendence, mm-hmm. and you don't even know what age you are. You're not even thinking about it. And right. you know, to me, that's a picture of heaven. That's what's so beautiful about that in that moment. And that is such a great place for your brain to be. It's so healthy for your brain to be there. And Mm -hmm. so understanding, okay, if I've been living in the land of what if a lot, even while I'm having sex, that some of these techniques can be helpful to prepare you. And you may even need to do them while you're having sex. And Mm -hmm. for a lot of couples, it may mean that for a while they don't like have sex to actually maybe even have intercourse or to achieve an orgasm, but they just work on, let's just get comfortable being naked with one another and not flipping Mm. our lids. Let's get comfortable with maybe just touching one another, but not the pressure and the expectation to actually have sex, because that makes us flip our lid. And then we get too anxious. And then we begin to wire those neurons together that sex leads to um, pain. So yeah, maybe kind of slow things down in that way.
0: Well, Jennifer, this has been a great conversation. Um, Where can our listeners go to learn more about your work and and maybe some resources that could help them um, uh, work on some of these things in their relationship?
1: So they just go to my website, jenniferdegler.com, jennifer, D-E-G-L-E-R, degler.com. They can find the resources there.
0: Yeah, and we'll be sure to add that in our show notes. But Jennifer, thank you so much for your time. And just, um, I think that uh, whole... Hand and the flipped lid will stick with a lot of people, and and you know it might even become a symbol, a nonverbal symbol that mar- couples use whenever they're they're seeing something in their spouse. Right? You just put yeah. that hand or up and you say, hey, a, you know?
1: "Yeah." Or if you go to a party, you know, you can. It's like a little secret yeah. code. If somebody else at the party flips their lid, you could be like, "Mm-hmm, yep
0: That's right. That's a right.
1: inside joke.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for being with us. Thank you. And listeners, we're always glad that you're with us, and we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.